Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coach Prime ain't got nothing to prove, but Colorado does. We also got to take a look at a Friday night matchup featuring Oregon State and Utah that might have Pac-12 championship implications. And can Kansas do the double in Austin against Texas? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Notre Dame playing Duke and what we can expect from Notre Dame against the best Duke team we've seen in damn near 30 years. Texas has to actually prove that it's back once again against a Kansas team that is surging. There's a low-key SEC West uh, championship or not championship game with championship game implications. I should say Ole Miss LSU, which one of those teams do we think is really good? And well, frankly, I want to get to the game that is going to get all of our attention. That is number eight USC at Colorado. That's the big noon game. It's also a good opportunity for me to tell you that I will be hosting a live tailgate in Los Angeles where we will be seated with Cody Kessler and Philip Lindsay as we talk through the game. Really excited to pick those guys' brains, maybe get some stories from them about their time playing and well, reminisce a bit about two great Pac-12 players as the Pac-12 seems to be, you know, in its last season. It ought to be a lot of fun. Please join us there. Be live on the Twitters. You'll be loud about it. I'll be loud about it. We'll see it everywhere. All right. So USC is favored by 21 and a half points in this game. And that's a half point more than what Oregon was favored by last week, which is the first time that again. The line wasn't correct. I just want to point that out, right? The line wasn't correct again. It it it, it should have probably been another 10 points in the other direction because that game was not close, 42 to 6. And now we're talking about the Pac-12's number one offense versus the Pac-12's worst defense. And that really is going to be the story of this game. It's not just Caleb Williams versus Shadur Sanders as much as we would like it to be. It's can the offensive line keep Shadur Sanders upright long enough to do anything down the field? And can the... Pac-12, well, Pac-12's worst defense do anything about catching Caleb Williams because nobody else has been able to do that quite at all, right? So we're also talking about this game being on big noon, so it's going to be in a big window. And for the third consecutive week, Colorado has been one of the large, no, the largest drawn football game, period. Even in the blowout against Oregon, we're talking about 10 million people showing up to watch that game. So Caleb Williams, USC, they're going to get as much of the spotlight as is possible against the most interesting team in college football. It's also about how quickly does USC put this game away? And I think that's going to have a lot to do with it, right? Because 
USC looks sluggish uh, to downright bad at times against Arizona State over the weekend. And if you're going to have a down game, sleepwalk through a game, let it be Arizona State, right? Who gave up, you know, a, well, USC ends up giving up 28 points to Arizona State, which is the most that they've given up, tied for the most they've given up all year. But I saw an Arizona State team that I hadn't seen all year, right? Drew Pine had his moments, but also looked like the kind of dude that was playing against USC last year. Like, it wasn't that big for him. And they were getting some plays from guys that I hadn't seen them get plays from. But you're also talking about a USC team that didn't play his best football and still had a Marshawn Lloyd averaging like 10 yards a touch, right? Caleb Williams didn't look great, and yet, Somehow, you would find those guys wide open down there. Brendan Rice, Dorian Singer, Zachariah Branch, who is the only player in FBS this year with a receiving TD, a punt return TD, and a kickoff return TD. Like, Cliff Branch's great nephew is out there absolutely putting on the best performance we've seen in a USC uniform since probably Reggie Bush, right? When we're talking about what that guy is capable of. And that's that's a guy playing in the outfield, right? That That's a skill player. That's not Caleb Williams. And that offensive line has not been as bad as I thought it might be. Now, the question for USC is always going to be their defense, right? I have given up on this idea that USC will be a top scoring defense because frankly, that ain't what Alex Grinch wants. I understand that people don't believe this to be true, but if you're paying attention to USC's defense and you're not paying attention to turnovers and takeaways, you're missing the point, right? Turnovers, takeaways, and tackles for loss. That is what that defense wants to do. It wants to get the ball back as quickly as possible to the offense. So that means selling out to go sack the quarterback. That means jumping routes to go get the ball. And if you get beat over the top, guess what? They're going to score quickly and your team's going to get the ball back, right? USC's averaging 55 a game, but the defense is only giving up 20 a game. And if you can run the ball on that offense, then you get to keep the defense off the field. So I think Alex Grinch is getting exactly what he wants from his defense, which is great pass rush and Really opportunistic defensive back play. And you know, you can do all of that when you got a six foot five dude in the middle linebacker, among other things, right? So I I think that you're gonna see Colorado move the ball against USC in a way that frankly they just couldn't against Oregon, but I don't expect it to be moving all that much, right? I think now we're really getting into the spot where we've seen what the ceiling is for Colorado. I was low to tell you what I thought the ceiling was because I didn't want to get out in front of an undefeated team. Nobody wants that, right? But now Oregon has showed you the ceiling, right? They've also showed you how much it means to them to beat Coach Prime. Like, we got Oregon putting out pro wrestling tapes because Shiloh Sanders did what Shiloh Sanders has been doing his entire career, which is just trash talk. And that is getting loudly retweeted, right? And we're getting Duck fans coming up getting Brody because they did what they were supposed to do. They won. Now go make the college football playoff. Now go win a national championship. That's what you're supposed to be doing, Oregon. You're way ahead of what Colorado is. And I think Prime hit on this, but I'm going to hit on it a little bit better, I think. Teams aren't playing against Colorado. Teams are playing against Prime. And the thing about playing against a head coach is you don't get to hit him. Despite Jimbo Fisher giving Asante every reason to try to knock him over, stepping out onto that field, and Jimbo near the headlights, just throwing it. Jimbo, you got to make that tackle. You don't get to go and tackle the head coach, right? Now, Prime is in this primarily because he believes he can do good, right? He believes that he can put players in a position to succeed and he can get them recognition they wouldn't otherwise get. He's also in this to coach his boys, particularly Shadur, right? This is a man who started coaching football because he did not like how the peewee football coach was coaching his kids. And he found himself getting up to go give pointers to the peewee football coach and then said, well, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to just do this. So he has been coaching those boys since they were very, very young. 
and he has wanted to continue to coach them throughout their careers. If there was ever a reason for Prime to go coach in the NFL, it would be to go coach his boys. But he doesn't want to do that. As a matter of fact, he's kind of throwing cold water on the idea that either Shiloh or Shadour, particularly Shadour, would go into the NFL draft next year because, frankly, they're getting this thing running toward 2024 when they're going to leave the Pac-12 and they're going to join the Big 12. And we want to see just what they're capable of off of a loss, off of a really embarrassing loss. But also, I'd like to see Colorado, in particular, players not named Shadour Sanders or Travis Hunter or Shiloh Sanders or even Alton McCaskill or Jimmy Horn or Xavier Weaver. I keep going on about that. Prove themselves. Show us something, right? Because you're getting the kind of exposure that most college football players say they want. Now, what are you going to do with it, right? I had this same thought about all sorts of teams that want to tell me how good they are. It only works if you continue to be good. It only works if you continue to win. That is why when Lincoln Riley went to USC and took over a four and eight program, flipped the roster, they came out AP ranked number 14 because of what he had done prior. We're talking about a man who has already won 70 games as a head coach. And he ain't start head coaching until 2017. The man is a proven winner. He also knows what it is like to flip over a roster. And when I talk with people ahead of this season, Riley was the only person to go on the mic and tell me that he thought what Prime was doing was not only great, but he expected. Hear from him. Uh, a coach like like what Coach Sanders is that, that has been able to obviously be so impactful as a player. You bring him into the college game, all the attention he's brought. They've been aggressive about rebuilding the roster, which, listen, that's his job. Like, that, that's all of our job. Like, you have... You have a team, you have a university responsible to it. It's your job to build that roster the very best you can. If anybody knows what it is like to try to rebuild a roster from scratch and turn it over in the transfer portal era, it's Riley, right? Who brought, didn't bring in 56 new scholarship players, brought in closer to 27, 40, depending on who you want to ask and when guys came in and when they went out. But one of the big ones was the quarterback, Kayla Williams. Well, Prime brought one of those with him too, and Shador Sanders. Now, Everybody is on board what I was yelling for the last eight months, which is that that dude was one of the three best quarterbacks, regardless of FBS or FCS. And now, oh, yeah, Shador Sanders is really good. Yes, I know this. I watched you do play at Jackson State for two consecutive years before anybody else deigned to care, right? And then I know that Prime is a winner, right? The man has lost seven games in three years. Might lose eight in three years, but tell me who else has that sort of a head coaching record. So this is really going to be a game where Colorado players get to show their resilience. And if nothing else, know that Prime is going to continue to take those dudes to task because that's the kind of coach he is. Like some of us have been wondering, uh, not me, well, I should say, others have been wondering where Cormani McClain is. But Cormani McClain isn't doing the things that Prime needs him to do to even see the football field. Things like watching film, like Prime will say, hey, I look at who's watching film for how long? Because, you know, they got the iPad hooked up. And they can tell you how much screen time they got on those iPads. If you're not watching film, he's not going to put you out there, right? If he doesn't see that you're engaged in practice, he's not going to put you out there. We also got to see Alton McCaskill for the first time against Oregon in garbage time. He had five carries for 17 yards. But that is a do they need to contribute. But really, it's about their offensive line. Can they get some push up front? And can they protect Shador Sanders? Defensively, that's, that's the thing, right, is the front seven. Can you penetrate that offensive line? Can you stop Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones from running the football? Because I think if you can force Caleb Williams to throw the football 50 times, that's your best case scenario.
that's that's it. You got to get into a shootout with this team. Otherwise, it could be over in a hurry. And we know that USC is capable of doing just that. That's what I'm going to watch from them, right? I already think that's the most dangerous football team in America. I need them to prove that they are a national title contender because that's the last thing for Lincoln Riley to do. Like win a college football playoff game, win a national championship, and he will have accomplished everything that this sport has for him to accomplish by his 40th birthday, which is wild to think about, but that's where we're at. This is also low-key a pro football Hall of Famer's son's game. Like I mentioned, Zach Branch, and uh, Zion Branch for that matter, are great nephews of Cliff Branch, who's an Oakland Raiders legend, right? Also went to Colorado, hello. But Brendan Rice, who played at Colorado, now plays at USC, son of Jerry Rice. We mentioned Shadur and Shiloh Sanders. This is going to be a lot of fun from that standpoint alone. So I'm curious to see who shows up for this game. I've already heard from a number of people who are going to be at Folsom for it, and the sidelines are going to be filled once again. You can expect a who's who to be on that sideline because that's what Prime invites. But Colorado's got to show out for Colorado. Less about Prime on the chest and more about Colorado on the chest and your name on your back because that seems to matter now, right, in a way that it didn't. You really got to go out there and prove to the rest of the nation that you are that kind of a program. I say that because – we're heading into the dissolution of the Pac-12 with Colorado and Utah, among others, joining the Big 12 next year. So all this marketing is going to follow Prime to the Big 12 where he's going to get to recruit the state of Texas. Good luck with that. But what would Colorado have to do to walk into the 2024 offseason and be a Big 12 contender, maybe even the Big 12 favorite? Well, for starters, they have to get past Utah at the end of the season, which is kind of a low-key good rivalry game all of a sudden, but also they would have to go and get eight eight wins. Nine wins would get them there, right? Nine wins, we're all going to believe that Colorado is going to be one of the best football teams in the Big 12 next year because Prime will go into the portal and make them better at positions of need. But seven wins, I think, is enough, right? It's just who are those seven wins? You'd like to see them get past one more ranked opponent. Texas Christian was ranked when they played them, right? And I think maybe Utah is that team they can kind of sneak up on because the style making the fight might be a big part of this. It's also a great way to segue into number 10 Utah at number 19 Oregon State. That's Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on FS1. Oregon State is favored by two and a half in this game. Uh, Let me back up. I picked USC in the game, right? Okay, let's do that. So Oregon State is favored by two and a half in the game, right? Utah, though, won this game 42-16 last year, and Utah has been ranked a top 10 team by me and others without its starting quarterback. That's wild. I did not see that happening, right? Because I didn't think this was the top 25 team without Cam Rising against Florida. And it turns out, yeah, yeah, I was wrong. Glad I had him in the rankings to begin with. But the way that that defense has been able to step up and plays really great, but also that you've seen Nate Johnson kind of take the reins of this team and bend it towards something that works to get out of the way of the defense. They run the ball effectively. They don't run it well, but they run it effectively. They are able to chew up clock. They're playing gritty 1990-style football, perfect Kyle Whittingham football team, where they win in the trenches. Everything else takes care of itself. The offensive line, defensive line do what they're going to do. And they were getting pass rush after pass rush after pass rush to Dante Moore, who I still think is going to be a great quarterback in the Big Ten next year because UCLA is going over there. But you get the point there. That dude's got the goods. Just Morgan Scally and that defense had his number. Unlike I've seen Morgan Scally's defense have anybody's numbers sometimes. They find a way to get these things done. Right now, Utah is Roman Reigns. 
Root Utah is Roman Reigns telling Jay and the Usos, I don't need your recognition. I don't need your fealty. I need you to acknowledge me. Utah, two-time defending Pac-12 champion, acknowledge me. Utah has played in the Rose Bowl twice the last two years. Acknowledge me. Utah, who with a win against Oregon State, will not just be 5-0, but have three wins against ranked opponents without their starting quarterback, Cam Rising. Acknowledge me. I'm telling you, Utah over here going head of the table. Right here. All roads run through Salt Lake City. This has got an opportunity to be a really great game in Corvallis. I'm very excited about it. Now, DJ Uyunglele is the wild card here, right? Because now Oregon State has a quarterback. They have their Cam Rising. They have a guy that I think can make them into an 11-win team and even get them to the Pac-12 championship game, but they got to win this one. So that means that DJ has to have one of his better games. Don't turn the ball over. Damian Martinez has to be able to run the ball in this game because he couldn't do it against Utah last year. And you're going to get some really good opportunities from Fentwick, among others. But this game also might last all of two hours because both teams love to run the football and both teams are pretty good defensively, despite what Oregon State showed against Washington State, which, again, was up for that game. And I think Washington State's a lot better than any of us anticipated they would be. And frankly, they're right there in that conversation to play in the Pac-12 championship, too. The the Pac-12 is deep. Right now, I got a hard time thinking the Pac-12 is not the deepest Power 5 conference that we got today. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the quarterbacks because, well, it's easy to talk about quarterbacks. It's easy to talk about the offense. But what has been fantastic is how these defenses have played, too, right? We're getting opportunistic defensive back play. We're getting linebackers that get into the backfield. We're getting defensive linemen that really want to go sack quarterback. It's a fun league. And, you know, better late than never if you're the Pac-12. All right, I'm picking Utah to win that game, but I would not be shocked if Oregon State pulls the upset in Corvallis. Next, let's get to number 24, Kansas at Texas. Number three, Texas. Texas favored by 17 in this game. Doesn't mean a damn thing. Do you know why? Because it's Texas. And despite me telling anybody that would listen that I think Texas is the best team in the Big 12, it only took them beating up on Alabama and Tuscaloosa for other people to believe that. But this is the perfect game to, like, let all that go. Because Kansas was... (laughs) was a 31-point underdog the last time that they went to Austin. And you'll remember the last time they went to Austin, they won that game, 57-56 in overtime. It's also Jalen Daniels' coming out game, right? It's the one where everybody started to figure out, oh, Lance Leipold knows how to do this. Well, damn, duh. That dude's 156, 158 and 56 all time. I don't give a damn what level you're coaching at. Wing is winning. And that dude wins everywhere he goes, right? So now you have a Kansas team that everybody knows is coming, but they are sound offensively. They run the ball extremely well. Devin Neal and Daniel Henshaw combined for 193 and a half yards from scrimmage per game. They've got each got nine each. They're combined for nine touchdowns. Jalen Daniels completing damn near 75% of his passes for 260 yards. Like they're going to move the ball and they're looking to go five and oh, just like Texas, right? It's going to be a really great one because I think Kansas has an opportunity to vault themselves to the front of the line when we talk about the Big 12 and and talking about Utah and Colorado and who's going to lord over this conference after Oklahoma and Texas are gone. I have as much faith in Kansas as I do Kansas State because didn't nobody pick Kansas State to win the Big 12 championship last year? And that's what they did. Came out of nowhere. Didn't nobody expect Texas Christian to be in the Big 12 championship game last year. They have an opportunity with these teams being so close together. By the way, West Virginia is 3-1. and Goodness me to actually stand out with a win against the number three ranked team in the country. Now, 
you're asking a lot beating up on this Texas because the Texas team they beat isn't as talented as the Texas team they're playing, even without B. John Robinson, because Jonathan Brooks has been a godsend for them at tailback. He's had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games last couple of outings, but I'm also looking at a defense that has been filthy. They're giving up, what is this, 12.5 points per game? Texas? Last time that I thought about Texas defense being great was 2009. They played in the BCS National Championship game. You know what I'm saying? All right? So it's one thing to be like Steve Sarkeesian finally got his quarterback figured out and Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy's always been a guy. Jatavion Sanders leads the FBS in receiving yards at tight end, meaning he's doing better than Brock Bowers over there at Georgia, right? Uh, Adonai Mitchell is also a dude. They go really deep at tailback, and that offensive line has been outstanding, led by Kelvin Banks, who's just a sophomore, just super talented. But Texas 4-0 for the first time since 2012, looking to go into the Red River rivalry, the Red River shootout undefeated, just like my Oklahoma Sooners we'll talk about here in a little bit. I hope this game is as entertaining as it looks to be on paper because a good showing by both of these programs I think would mean a lot to us nationally. But Kansas upsetting Texas, that's that's a lot to ask this year. I think they got it in them, but I'm just going to pick Texas because I've been picking Texas, right? We'll, we'll talk about the Red River shootout. When it's time to rock about the Red River shootout. But right now, I'm picking Texas to beat Kansas in Austin. All right, number 11, Notre Dame at number 17, Duke. The best Duke team we have seen since 1994. That's 29 years. I know this because Duke is ranked 17th in the country. Duke's highest ranking since 1994 is 17th in the country. Now, I was having a conversation with myself because that's how we do this show, right? I have conversations with myself. So I'm just like, it's about 17-year-old self. Yo, 17-year-old self. Um, Florida State needed overtime to beat Clemson. But Duke beat Clemson by 21 points. And 17-year-old self said, not in football. And I was like, err. And he's like, not in football. Like, that's what it is, dog. Duke beat Clemson 28-7. Florida State never led and needed overtime to beat the same Clemson team. I'm telling you. 2023, wild. Buck, wild. Ain't nothing new about 2007, uh, and we probably should throw that one away. But it's still, Buck, wild. And I'm here for it because I'm looking at a Notre Dame team that's still got something to prove. So this is the part where I get to tell you that Lou Holtz is out here cutting <laughs> cutting heaters, man. He cutting promos. He cut a promo before Notre Dame, Ohio State, and he's cut a promo off after Notre Dame, Ohio State, because he's finally figured out at 86 years old, I don't coach. They ain't my teams. I can say whatever I damn well please about anybody. So if I tell you that Ohio State is soft and Notre Dame is a better football team, even after they lost the game 17-14, that's just what it is. And my goodness, did it seem to just get under the skin of Ohio State fans, but I understand it, right? I Don't nobody like to be called soft. Don't nobody like to be called like, like, like they're a finesse team, because that's also going against Ohio State's whole constitution because that's a program that's built its entire being on running the football. And it's only been in the last five years where they have really started to go at people aerially. So to add, call them finesse, to call them soft, it's going to mean a little bit something different. But you know what? Better be finesse with 11 people on the field than be hard with 10. Okay? That's number one. I understand that it is difficult to overcome. But Notre Dame shot itself in the foot repeatedly in that game. I mean, I saw six offensive linemen and two tight ends and Aldrick Estime in the backfield, and you run in play action. I'm like, and not just that, they're double covering the tight ends. 
when you got six offensive linemen on the field, run the football. Like that's what Notre Dame's identity is. It's it's giving the ball to that dude in the back and saying, stop him if you can. Like I get Sam Hartman is that guy. And it's great that you got that element and you need to really go into that element. Like with Jalen Greathouse, with Chris Tyree, with, with your two great tight ends. But in that game, it felt like you were playing right into their hands when you're throwing the football on short down and distances. I don't think they're going to do that against Duke. I think if nothing else, Marcus Freeman is going to tear it all down and go, no, no, no. Fundamentals, block and tackle, 11 men on the field. If it's third and short, run the damn football. If everybody knows you're running the football and you can still run the football, you have won the football game. It's that simple. And I don't know that Notre Dame is going to face another team where they're going to see a defense as stout as Ohio State's. And it looked like, at least against that front seven, you could do what you want to do. I think Notre Dame rushed for 176 yards against Ohio State. Do that against Duke. I mean, it's you're asking Riley Leonard to beat you, basically, right? And I thought the, the game that Duke beat Clemson in, it's just weird. You know, Clemson has been kind of clownish from a – from a jokey standpoint, like not like clown behavior, not like people who call me clowns on the Twitters, more like, haha, can't believe that just happened. Because it's really, it's it's stuff that Cade Klubnik, not just getting sacked, but fumbling the football, Florida State picking that thing up, running back for six, that's the difference in the game. I don't know that you can count on that against the Notre Dame team, and yet they had 10 people on the field and goal line stand. The more I watched that play, dog, I'm, I just got to point out that it doesn't get better with each viewing. Like, I tried to come up with, I thought was a good excuse, and you pointed out to me in the, in the comments on the Twitters, yo, RJ, take the penalty. I mean, what are we talking about, moving the football six inches? Yeah, you right. And then you got Chip Trainum coming on for Travion Henderson, and then you, you, you could have put your fourth defensive lineman on, but then you're in nickel? Why are you in nickel in the goal line? I, I know that Notre Dame fans are tired of it, and I'm, I get it, but it's also me trying to tell you, if you take care of the stuff you have in your control, you're going to win more football games. And I think you can do that against Duke. I know that this game is at Duke, but it's Duke. Now, they'll be loud because you're Notre Dame, right? And everybody gets up for Notre Dame, and, but you travel well. This should not be the chore that it seems it might be. You're, you're favored heavily in this game. Or it's not heavily. You're favored by five and a half. All right. Mm, Duke hadn't beat Notre Dame in 2016. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Notre Dame here because I think it's a good football team. I really do. I think that they're man, Benjamin Morrison showed me a lot against Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't know who you got that can beat him one on one. And if you could play man in Notre Dame defense, Al Golden can send five defense back out there <laughs> on goal line stand. He can't. I'm sorry. It's just hard. It's hard. Run the football, hand it to that really detailed back room you have. Let Sam Hartman play play action football, man. Like he's going to find dudes wide open downfield if y'all just established a run. Do that against Duke. You got an opportunity, but Duke. Best story west of the Mississippi. As a matter of fact, if Prime wasn't coaching Colorado, Duke would be getting more of our attention because it's a phenomenal story going on down there. And if they beat Notre Dame, they're going to get more of our attention because they're going to be become a favorite to play in the ACC championship game, even if they got Florida State left on the schedule, right? So I think the Blue Devils not playing with house money because you want to go win. Mike Elko said we want to win right now. But certainly you're ahead of schedule. And that's a team that won nine games last year. Shouldn't be sneaking up on anybody this year. But you got to come correct, and you got to take care of the things you can control if you're Notre Dame to win that game. All right, number two, Michigan at Nebraska. That's 3.30 p.m. on Fox following USC Colorado. Michigan is heavily favored in this game, 17.5 points. 
for Michigan fans, it's about trying to figure out what your run game is. And I think your run game is just fine. I think that folks that are trying to tell you that your run game ain't exactly on like it should be, haven't paid attention to the clock rules changing and have no idea what it is like to be wrong about picking against Michigan. Okay, so let's do this. If you think that your run game being potent is a product of yards before contact and yards after carry, maybe you got something, right? Maybe that's a way to look at this, is that your offensive line is not getting on blocks so much and that Blake Quorum, Donovan Edwards, them aren't doing as great a job of hitting holes and, and making people miss after, okay? But if you're looking at the clock rules and knowing that the clock does not stop after a first down, you also know you're not getting that many plays. So if you are counting on explosive plays, okay, maybe you feel some kind of way about that too because they've got fewer explosive plays at this point last year, or excuse me, this year than they did last year. Last year, through a third of the season, Michigan had 10-yard runs, 32 10-yard runs or more, right? This year, it's 19. I don't think it's a big deal because they just beat Rutgers 31-7, right? Now, the other way to look at this is Nebraska's got the second best run defense in the country. They're averaging just 1.82 yards allowed. If you can run the football on that Nebraska front seven, I think that is a really good metric for how good Michigan's run game is or isn't. But I look at Michigan, and I said this on Sunday, and I'm going to continue to say it because I, I feel it strongly. Michigan's 2012 Alabama. They got a quarterback that knows what he's doing. They got a run game that is the identity, and they got a defense that can show up and shut people down if they need to. I mean, it's no nonsense. It's no flash. It's just iron khakis, black cleats, and a wildly unexpected streaming observation at Media Day press conference. It's like, that's it, right? It's everyday man football. It is the dude that shows up to move the down markers and mow the lawn and watch the games on the multi-view and say, isn't that cool? They are going to just continue to run people down and we're going to find them in the game undefeated. Everything goes according to plan. Now, Nebraska can, they can put a turd in the punch bowl, okay? They can do that because now even, even Matt Rule is going, maybe Jeff Sims ain't the guy after all. And the guy that I think that they're going to start, and it's not confirmed, in uh, Heinrich Harburg, he had 157 rush yards against La Tech last year. And now that you have lost three of your four best receivers and two of your three best running backs to either injury arrest or flat out quit in the sport it's just Harburg and Anthony Grant back there that you really get to depend on and it's Marcus Washington out there in patterns but if you bust this thing down to what do we do well we run the football well and we run and we play run defense well you're going to try to keep Michigan off the field and you're going to try to influence that Michigan defense with quarterback run QB power if you gotta Run option if you got it. If you got to take it back to the Taylor Martinez era, great. If you got to take it back to the Eric Crouch era, great. Whatever you have to do to win football games. And I think Nebraska is in a great position here to really slow the game down. It's at home and try to control this game so it doesn't get out of hand. So the closer this, like, if Nebraska can keep Michigan under 21 points for the majority of the game, I think they're going to give themselves an opportunity to win it at the end. It's a tall ask, right? Because I still think that Michigan offense is somehow being underplayed. But you know what? It's me saying it. So again, Anthony Grant, Harburg, Thomas Fadone, Billy Kemp, Marks Watch, those dudes. Make sure that those are your playmakers on offense. On defense, just continue to do what you've been doing, Tony White, which is stopping people from running the football. You're going to have a great chance to win it at the end. Still got to pick Michigan because, well... It's Michigan and it's Nebraska, 
and that is the thing that will pass muster. But again, would not shock me if Nebraska pulls the upset. Again, wouldn't shock me if Michigan covered the spread because this game could go either way with these two teams. Next on the list, let's talk about number 13 LSU at number 20 Ole Miss. LSU favored by two and a half here. I asked uh, my buddy, uh, Clayton Harrell, who is a huge LSU fan and, you know, married into an Arkansas family. Hey, LSU, they they, got to beat Ole Miss, right? He's like, which LSU defense is going to show up? And I'll answer the question. And I said, you got a point there, right? Because the defense that has been great is the one that they've been able to win football games with, right? Take into account what they were able to do against Alabama last year. All right, cool. Take into account what they were not able to do against Florida State this year. All right, you got a point. This is also quietly the Harold Perkins game, right? Harold Perkins showed out in this game, put everybody on notice before the Arkansas game where he was absolutely electric. But they got their own Perkins over there, Ole Miss, that absolutely gets after. That dude closes like a juice locomotive that's running late, all right? Sunterin is out there just really whooping people. I hope they let him go because the I would love for this game to be Perkins on Perkins crime, you know, them playing linebacker. But it also feels like Brian Kelly has figured out, hey, don't put Harold Perkins inside. Put that man in a foot nine technique and tell him to go kill the quarterback. That's what you can do. All right. I really expect him to go after Jackson Dart and Quinshawn Judkins because Lane Kiffin tried to run away from Dallas Turner. It didn't work. I don't think you're going to be able to run away from Harold Perkins. I think he's going to be able to impact this game in a big way. Ole Miss is also a team that hasn't scored more than three points in the last half of football. And that was a team that I thought was going to be putting up 40 a game. I was wrong about that. Just check the Alabama score 24-10 to the tie. All right. I'm picking LSU to win that game. But I'm picking LSU because I think the defense is going to show up. And I think that Jaden Daniels is not going to turn the football over. Next, let's talk about Iowa State at number 14, Oklahoma. This is a classic trap game for Masooners. Okay. So much so that I have already been asked what I think is going to happen in OU, Texas. And I refuse to talk about it. Uh uh-uh. uh. Let, 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 let's get past Iowa State. Same Iowa State that coffin nailed Oklahoma State that had Rocco Beck go for 341 through the air. I'm not, no, the same Iowa State that drops eight, right? Rushes three and frustrates the hell out of you, by the way. Uh, Charles Kelly, that's what you need to be doing against Caleb Williams. You need to drop eight, make everybody tackle. Don't let anybody beat you over top. If you got to run around, you're going to beat you running football, let him do that. I think that's what you're going to see Oklahoma try to put the clamps on when we're talking about Rocco, too, because that dude spins it. Now, Oklahoma State ain't very good. I don't mind saying it. No, Oklahoma State ain't very good. However, how, 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 however. As much as I love how the defense is looking, Danny Stutzman is putting together a button buckets award winning season. 43 tackles, uh, eight tackles for loss. Nobody's got more than nine so far this year at the linebacker position on a team that is 4-0, on a team that's given up eight and a half a game. That's amazing. And I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, and I am, you draw it up that the defense is dominant and you have a so-so offense. Again, comma, however, I would really like to see this warp speed offense put points on the board because the thing that sucks about watching this warp speed offense that Jeff Levy insists on going super fast at is you get super fast three and outs. I don't like no super fast three and outs. Don't nobody like no super fast three and outs. Run the damn football, okay? If I see Dylan Gabriel drop back and throw three incomplete passes, I'm going to scream because you're going to hand the football to Matt Campbell. 
and in handing the football to Matt Campbell, you are asking him to run the football on you and to eat out the clock. And then you're putting more stress on a defense that's been playing out of its mind. Seven interceptions the last two games. I don't expect that to keep up. You're talking about Danny Stutzman being a linchpin in this thing. We're talking about Jerick Cannon, right? Can that dude continue to play? Is he okay? You know, I, we can only suffer so much here. So let's not let's let's not mess with what works in the defense. Let's run the football. Run the football. Dispatch Iowa State so we can get on to this thing that's going to be sal- salacious, and we're going to talk about it because it is delicious. But I'm not I'm not enthusiastic. I've never been enthusiastic about playing Iowa State. Ne- never, N- not never. 2017 Oklahoma. Remember that Baker Mayfield Heisman winning season. You know what happened? Iowa State came down there and handed Oklahoma its head. Just by frustrating the hell out of him. John Haycock in that defense. I'm telling you. Take care of Iowa State. Pick at Oklahoma. But it's a trap game. Get your head on. Okay? I need you to lock in. I need you to lock in on Iowa State. I need you to beat the Cyclones. It is a team that can and will hurt you if you give them half a chance. Don't play with the Cyclones. Look, we Oklahoma, we don't play with tornadoes. We don't play with tornadoes. Okay? Put away... Iowa State. All right. Please join us on Saturday once again for our live tailgate where I will be hosting along with Philip Lindsay and Cody Kessler. We'll tell some stories. We'll crack some jokes. We'll talk about Colorado USC. I expect Cody Kessler to have a very good time and we'll see what kind of time I and Philip Lindsay have because, well, he went to Colorado, best tailback since Eric the Enemy. And I have been on the Colorado, well, I've been, man, I've been up front cracking the whip on them horses, leading that Colorado buggy across the lane. All right. Our number one college football show leads the screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special team. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we baked. Alex Hobbs is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaji sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all on Saturday. Till then, Stay low. Keep those feet driving. Doses.